I'm going to be talking about a subject today that um, it's, a, uh, it's a rough story for me. Uh, it's a story I haven't shared publicly, and it's, um, it's very difficult, but it's something that I, I hope will be very valuable to you as it has been to me. Uh, I know you guys have been going through your uh, Red Stuff series over the course of the last several weeks. And if you would, Greg, pull up that first slide. I know that H brought in pieces of pie for everybody. Is that right? It's peach, peach pie. I, this is the best I could do. This is cake, but I don't have any cake. So this is my poor attempt to gain favor with you all by just showing you a piece of cake. I couldn't believe he did that. I thought that was so cool. Um, you know, when I get the opportunity to do this, it's, it's, it's difficult in the sense because when you're up here, you're supposed to have it all together. You're supposed to be the one in the room that um, has this incredible relationship with God and uh, is almost blameless in a lot of ways. And I'm not that guy, uh, but I also have uh, a burden that sometimes I, I think about it in terms of if I have the opportunity to do this, I want to make sure that whatever I share with you all is something that I've shared with myself first. So it, it leads me to become what I would like to think is, is painfully transparent. And I think you're going to see that today uh, if I do this well enough. But um, it also leads me into a position of a greater responsibility in the eyes of God. Uh, if we look at, in the book of James, in chapter 3, verse 1, James says, Not all of you should become teachers. For you who teach in the church are going to be judged more strictly. And one of my favorite authors put it this way. He had said, so the principle behind the judgment is you will be judged because you knew what you should do. And the assumption is teachers, by teaching, are claiming to know what they ought to do and therefore have greater judgment if they fall short. It's kind of heavy, isn't it? But that's part of the burden that I'm carrying this morning. I came to H a couple of months ago, and I shared with him this story, and I said, look, if you ever need me to fill in, I feel like this is something that I just have to share. It's something that I ought to do. And it's not going to be easy for me, but um, I hope that you find it valuable because it, it has fundamentally transformed my faith, as I hope it does yours, as you can use me as an example. So let's jump into this. Uh, have you guys ever lost something that meant something to you? We all have. You know, when my wife and I first got married, I had a brand new pair of glasses that I lost, and they were a couple hundred dollars, and I was pretty upset about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, they were just glasses. Uh, flip to the next slide, Greg. You know, we're going to, this is going to kind of build up in urgency. What about your keys? You know, you lose your house keys, you lose your car keys. That's a little bit more significant. If you've ever been in that situation before, it's happened to me before. What about this? Everyone just kind of took a deep breath when they saw this. What if you lose your phone? That's your umbilical cord to the world. That's really frustrating. You gotta go back to the store, you gotta get that replaced, you gotta make sure everything was bagged up in the iCloud, you gotta make sure that all your pictures are there. That's pretty debilitating. But let's make it a little more personal. What if you were given a family heirloom? Let's say it was your grandfather's watch or even your grandmother's jewelry. These priceless pieces of a family tradition or something that meant a lot to someone that has come before you that has given something to you that they saw incredibly valuable. What if you lost that? What would you do? What would be your first response? If you're like me, you get that almost punch in the gut feeling. I can't believe that this happened. I can't believe that I lost this. If you would flip to the next slide, great. What if it's monetary? Ladies in the room, you ever lost your purse? 
That's pretty awful. That's a terrible feeling. What about the guys in the room? What if you lose your wallet? Your whole life's in there. You got your social security card, driver's license, everything has to be replaced. Thankfully, it's all replaceable. But you still have that feeling, that gut-wrenching feeling of, I've got to find whatever it is that I lost. Now, what's important about this is we've all been there. I think every one of us can relate with losing something of value. But I want to talk about the response. The response in those moments is to search for it, right? You're searching, you're flipping over couch cushions, you're looking under tables, you're looking at every drawer, trying, trying to find what it is that you lost. And in terms of intensity, you're going to search that much harder if it means that much more to you. So let's look at what God has to say about this. What's interesting, there's three parables in Scripture. They call the first two the twin parables, but then it leads into the one that's the most important. God has three different parables about how he responds when he loses something. And as we'll go through them today, they actually heighten in intensity as you go through them. The first one is the lost sheep. The second one is the lost coin. And finally, the last one is the prodigal son. Now we're going to go through these rather quickly, but I want you to understand a rhythm and a cadence to each one of these stories that Jesus shared with his followers. Every one of them suggested that God was somewhere in this parable, and the people that Jesus was teaching to were also in the story. So similar to what we're doing today, what I'm sharing with you today is going to be applicable to us, just as God is also present in these stories. So let's look at the first one. I'm just going to read this to you. And you can flip to the next slide, Greg. This is the story of the lost sheep. Now, sheep at the time, during Jesus' time, were seen as property. It was a part of your net worth. It was something that made up how much money you had at the time. So it was important. You wanted to make sure you kept track of all of your sheep. We've all heard the story of having the 99, but if one gets lost, what are you going to do? So in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, by, the time, by this time, Jesus was hanging out with a lot of men and women that had doubtful reputations. So he was talking to people that had a rough past. And when he was hanging around them, these people were listening intently. The Pharisees and the religious scholars were not pleased. They weren't pleased at all because he hung out with these folks. And Jesus growled, which I think is such a great translation. He was, he was gutterly upset. And he had said that, he said, I want you to imagine this with me. Suppose that one of you had 100 sheep and you lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that one? And when you found that one, wouldn't you be sure that you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing and celebrating, that when you got home, you could tell your friends and neighbors, Celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. And here's where it becomes personal. Jesus says, count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. It's a pretty intense statement. So now we'll take it up a notch. Story to the lost coin. So sheep were seen as property. Coin is obviously money. And what happens here? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 8. Or imagine a woman that has ten coins, and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp, scour the house, look in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure that she'll call out to her friends and neighbors, and once again hear this. He says that she will say, celebrate with me, I found my lost coin. And then Jesus hits it home one more time. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw 
every time one lost soul turns to God. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty cool image. Thinking about a parting taking place in heaven between the angels and God, about someone turning back to him. So now let's get into the most significant story, the lost son. I'm not going to go through this entire story because it is, it is a little bit longer, but um, what happens in this story is pretty profound. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, and maybe this is maybe the first time you've come out to church in a while or you've never heard the story before, uh, it's a powerful representation of who God is and how much he loves his children. Because once again, as we saw in the other two parables, Somebody in the story is God, and then the other subject in the story are us. We are the people. So in this story, God is represented by the father of this prodigal son who decides to come to his dad and say, you know what, I'm going to pretend like you're dead, and I would like you to give me my inheritance, what's coming to me, which is an incredibly rude thing to say at the time. And as that occurs, the son leaves the home And as he leaves, he takes all the money with him. He squanders all these funds on pretty ridiculous living. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. And he finds himself in this position. He has a job where he's feeding pigs. And he's looking at the food that the pigs are eating. And he's saying, you know what? I I could go back and work for my dad. And I could have a better lifestyle as a slave of his than I could actually being here doing what I'm doing today. So he goes back to his dad. And as he's a far ways off, and he's preparing his speech, and he's thinking about how he's going to grovel before his father, his father sees him. And it says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And his heart, his father's heart was pounding. And he ran to his son. He embraced him. And he kissed him, which was incredibly rare for that time. You didn't see fathers kissing their children. And he screamed at the top of his lungs, and he said, my son is here. He's been given up for dead, but he's now alive, given up for lost, and now found. So this is the point of the message that's hard for me to talk about. Um, Like I said, I haven't shared this story with a lot of folks, and uh, I hope by the end of this you'll understand this the reason why. A little over a year ago, my wife and I took a beautiful trip to Sandpoint, Idaho. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with that part of the country, but it's truly breathtaking. If you flip to the next slide, Greg. These are some of the shots of where we were. This is my son, Jack, and I, and we were hiking on a mountaintop. And my son, Jack, is four years old. You can see him there on my shoulders. But you can see that this is what Theodore Roosevelt actually titled Sandpoint as being in 1888 when he visited. He called it a rough and tumble place which I think is pretty appropriate. It's not for the faint of heart. If you're an adventurous person and you love being outdoors, it's absolutely breathtaking. It's a lot of fun. But the environment commands a tremendous amount of respect. There's bears, there's coyotes, there's wolves. It's a predatory environment. And when you go hiking, you have to make sure that you're prepared. And when we went hiking, we always had a can of bear spray on our hip. And my father-in-law, who we went out there to visit, both my father and mother-in-law, he would often carry a pistol because you just have to be prepared. So my wife and I had spent the better part of a week out there, and it was just a great, great week. Uh, We were being taken care of by her parents, and it was a wonderful time. We participated in everything that the environment had to offer. There's a beautiful lake. It's one of the largest in the state of Idaho. Uh, It's called Lake Ponderay. It's truly breathtaking. And that's actually a good picture of it there. 
And there's actually one more, Greg, if you would flip to that. So you can see how gorgeous this place is. And it's actually the kind of environment where you feel very close to God because it is such a majestic environment. And as the week is coming to a close, and as my wife and I were thinking, I just wish we had one more day. I just wish we had one more day here. Uh, we had, um, we're getting ready to go to the airport, and the morning of us getting ready to go to the airport started just like any other. It was a beautiful summer morning. We'd had some coffee and hung around outside. And uh, my father-in-law had come and he had asked if, um, if he and my brother-in-law and my son Jack, our four-year-old little guy, who's three at the time, could head up the mountain road a ways and actually um, spend some time working on the road. So you see, this environment is so rural and where their home is located is so rural on this, the top of this mountain road that the runoff in the springtime, or even in the summer when it rains, creates these incredible ruts in the road. And you gotta fill them in. You gotta put dirt, you gotta put rocks, or else they're difficult to, to manage and to navigate. So they head up the mountain road and, and they begin to work on that. And meanwhile, my wife and I are doing some chores around the house. We had a brief conversation about, it's getting ready to get time to go to the airport. Um, you know, maybe one of us should go run up there and get them. And she decided she was gonna go and do that and she grabbed the truck and she drives up there and, uh, and it was at that point, our whole world stopped. She came flying back down the road, and I'll never forget it. The windows were still open in the truck, and I heard her yell from the second story of the home, he's gone, he's gone, he's not here. And I ran outside, and I said, what are you saying? What, what, who's gone? And she said, Jack's missing. Our three-year-old son is missing. And my brother-in-law doesn't know where he is, and by this point, my father-in-law had come back to the house to help us get ready for the airport, and so he wasn't there. And he just walked away, and nobody knew where he went. And I want to put this in context, because you can see this environment. You can see how scary it is, downright terrifying, for an adult, let alone a three-year-old. So. The next step, as you can imagine, is, all right, let's go. And this is an actual shot of where he was lost. I had actually taken this picture the day before and sent it out because I was running these hills, trying to get in a good workout and, and come to find out this is where he was lost. This is where some of the ruts in the road were, and this is where he had walked away. It just so happened that I had an actual picture of it. So I'm off. I'm running. And I run up to where my brother-in-law was, and I scream out, where is he? Do you know where he is? And he said, no. He said, I, I don't know. He just walked away, and I think he went in this direction. And, and um, the whole time that I'm running up there, I'm thinking, I'm going to find him. He's going to be here, and he's, this is all going to be a misunderstanding, and I'm going to see him, and it, this is, don't get upset about this, Chris. It's going to be okay. And... Uh, it's kind of your self-conscious way of helping to calm you down in something that could have been absolutely awful. So I immediately run into the woods, and I'm thinking, he's going to be here. I'm going to find him. He's, he's going to be behind this rock. He'll, he'll be behind this tree. He's going to be right here. And I run into the woods, and I start screaming, Jack, where are you, buddy? Where are you? You need to answer me, buddy. This is Daddy. Where are you? And I can't begin to tell you how deafening the silence was of that forest, of that densely packed forest where it's difficult to walk because it's so thick and there's so many obstacles. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear the wind. 
I didn't hear any birds. I didn't hear anything. All I could hear was the sound of my own voice. And it was terrifying. So I spent the next 10 minutes searching, thinking, how far can he go? He's three years old. Where can he go? This just happened minutes ago. He's got to be here. And then I thought, all right, well, these, these first few minutes are so precious. You've got to make the right decision. So I think, well, we've got to figure out a plan. And I run back to the house. I think, well, if I'll, I'll talk with my wife and I'll talk with her family and we'll figure out what's the best way to find him. And so I do that and I run back to the house. And my fears were confirmed when I saw the look in my wife's face who also hadn't found him. And I thought, well, surely he's going to show up. It's, it's been 10 or 15 minutes by this point. He's got to be here. And she's got the same petrified look of fear on her face. So does my mother-in-law. And we figured out a plan. I told my mother-in-law, look, call the police. I, I know it's drastic and I know, call them immediately. We got to get somebody out here. There's got to be a search team. We got we to gotta do this. These minutes are precious. And you may be thinking, it's a little overkill to think that you're going to call the police when he's only been gone for about 15 minutes. Six months earlier, my in-laws next door neighbor that lived up the mountain road had wandered off into the wilderness in the middle of winter, and they didn't find him until spring. And he had passed away as a result of that environment. So I'm terrified of this place. I know what it's capable of. And I'm thinking, it's not, it's not too much to ask get the cops out here now. And meanwhile, I ran away. I ran back up to the spot where I lost song. And I ran right back into the woods. And this is what I saw. I'm in this environment. And I'm running like crazy. And I'm screaming and yelling. And I'm saying, Jack, where are you, buddy? This is Daddy. You've got to answer me. Where are you? Jack, where are you? And as I'm running, I'm jumping over logs. And I'm climbing over rocks. And I'm pulling back bushes. And I'm running through brush. And there's, there's all kinds of creeks and rivers and waterways. And I'm just running and nothing is getting in the way of me finding him. And I didn't even care. I had so much adrenaline running through me. I couldn't feel any pain. I'd fall down a rock cliff and I'd get right back up and I'd keep going. I'd trip over a log and I'd face plant and I'd get up and I'd keep going. And I'd get the wind knocked out of me and I get up and I yell, Jack, where are you? Buddy, you need to hear me. This is Danny. And now it's 20 minutes into this and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if he's really lost? This is the first time that it actually hit me that my three-year-old son could actually be lost in the wilderness. He could be calling out to me and I can't hear him. I can't hear anything except the sound of my voice. So as this began to sink in, the weight of this feeling that he is truly lost, well, I just began to pray. And I, I just, I prayed so hard. My prayer at the time literally was, Father, please direct my path. Proverbs 3, 2, right? Direct my path. Direct my steps. Literally in this moment, show me where to go. I don't, this is an incredibly vast wilderness. There's thousands and thousands of acres. I don't know where he could have gone, but you have to show me where to go. And I'm praying and I'm praying. And by now my voice had just grown raspy for screaming this whole time. And as I'm running over rivers and I'm going through all these different waterways, I'm soaked to the core and I've got blood on me and scrapes and cuts and mud. But I will tell you, 
Nothing was going to get in the way of me finding my son. And I thought in that moment, what if I come across a wild animal? What if there's a bear or a wolf dead? Or what, what, I'm in their country. What's going to happen when I'm out here? And the, as soon as that thought came to mind, the second thought immediately came in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you have to take that animal's life, you'll take it and you'll move on. You've got to find your son. Nothing can get in the way of finding your son. By now, I'm about a half hour into this and I'm screaming and yelling. And I can't hear anybody else. I know my wife. I know her family. By now, they've reached out to neighbors. Everybody's canvassing this area. Everyone's screaming at the top of their lungs to try and find them. And I can't hear anyone. That's how deafening this place is and how thick it is. So at this point, at this point, it got a little darker. And I found myself in this valley. I'm in this place. And I'm, the thoughts are running through my head. Okay, what was he wearing? What was the last thing he was wearing? So that I can tell the search crew when they get out here what he was wearing. Do I have a t-shirt of his that smells like him so I can give it to the scent dogs to help track his scent and find him? And I'm in this place. And it's just like this. It's just like this picture. It's dirty. It's wet. It's foreboding. It's not the place you want to hang out. And it was at this moment, I'm just exhausted. I'm, I'm much like I am today. I'm just reliving this moment. I'm a wreck. And I'm tired of screaming. And I'm tired of yelling. But I've got all this energy. And I'm screaming for him. And I can't find him. And it was right at that moment, right after I got done yelling, Jack, this is Danny. This isn't a joke, buddy. You need to answer me. In the midst of that silence, something profound came over me. And that's so much of the reason why I'm here today. You see, I believe, and I hope you do too, that I think that God speaks to us. Not audibly, but often I think he speaks to us. In what scripture calls a still, small voice. It's an intuition. It's something that you know didn't come from yourself. It's providential in nature. It's a commanding voice. It's comforting. It's like that of a father that gives you direction, that gives you wisdom. It's that voice that says, slow down. I'm here. I'm with you. And I heard something at that moment which has fundamentally rocked my world of faith. I'm going to share that with you in a minute. But we all know the ways that God speaks. You know, he said in Job 38.1, Then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind, which the translation was just chaos. It was a thunderstorm. It was brutal. It also says in John 12.29 that the crowd was there, and they heard God say, and he heard it through thunder. That would be pretty terrifying. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear God that way. But if we look at 1 Kings 19.12, we see this. And after the earthquake, there was fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. And when I looked this up in the Greek, there's some great translations into a gentle whisper. There's a tiny whispering sound, a gentle little breeze, a soft murmuring sound. And that's what I heard in that moment. A soft murmuring sound, a gentle light breeze, a voice in the back of my mind. And I'm going to share with you what that voice told me in just a moment. Meanwhile, at this point, 
I'm off and running. I run out of this valley, and I take off down this path, and I'm screaming and I'm yelling. And at this point, I had run for miles, and I find myself on the other side of the mountain, and there's another, there's another mountain home right there. And in front of this mountain home, there's this little boy. He's sitting there, and he's playing a sandbox, and he's younger than Jack, so I know it's not him. He's got a different hair color. I know it's not him. But I couldn't help but think, there's my son. There he is. And I knew how strange this was. It, was, it just didn't make any sense. And I'm running up to him full sprint, and I'm yelling, Jack, Jack, this is Daddy. Where were you? Where were you? Where'd you go? We're all looking for you. And as I got to him, I realized how crazy this must have looked. Because right in that moment, his mom opened the door to the home and she comes out and I'm thinking, she's going to shoot me. She thinks I'm a lunatic running up to her son saying, Jack, where are you? And that's when I realized how awful and desperate I must have looked. Because she looks at me and she burst into tears and she said, how can I help? I said, my son is lost. I got to find him. I'm sorry. I know this looks strange. I'm so sorry. I thought your son was mine. And she says, I'll get my husband. We're going to go and we'll find him. We'll find him. And I'm off. I'm running. And I keep running. And I get to another, another home. And there's two ferocious dogs. And they're on ropes right in front of the house. I'm thinking, I don't care. I don't care if I get bit. I got to go get some help. Maybe he's at this house. Maybe he's here. And I run up to the house and nobody's home. I run around the dogs and I leave. And at this point, I'm back on the mountain road. And it's been 45 minutes. 45 minutes is an eternity for a three-year-old who's lost in the woods. And in the distance, I see a car. And it comes pulling up this dirt road. And this, this man I'd never met before sticks his head out the window and he says, they found him, they found him. He's okay, they found him. This poor guy gets out of the car and I grabbed him and I hugged him so hard that my tears were soaking his shoulder. I didn't even know him. I, just, I said, man, I'm really sorry. He says, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. And he just, he just held me. Oh, I can't begin to tell you just the weight of being so terrified of the what ifs. My mind had gone to such a dark place. I'd found myself thinking, where, where, what, what if this happens? What if he's here? And it went even darker. I thought, what if this is the last time I'm going to see him? At this point, you know, the, the forest had gotten so dark and it, it looked like this. I just, I, I couldn't help but think, is this it? Is this the last time I'm going to see him? I would give anything to be reunited with him. And now I found myself running back home, full speed. And if you would flip to the next slide. There he is. There he is. And I grabbed him and I held him. And much like what we saw in this morning's teachings, I hugged him and I kissed him because he was lost, but now he's found. <laughs> Just like we sang this morning, 
We're all prone to wander. But what I want to talk to you about more than anything is that God, too, is a father. He's a father that is yearning to be with his children. Do you want to know what I heard in that moment? When I found myself in that valley? Do you want to know what that still small voice in the back of my head said? What I heard in that valley, in that deafening silence, that I know that I know it didn't come from me, was this is how I chase after you. That's what I heard. That in the midst of all of my running, of pulling back trees and jumping over logs and running through creeks, that's what I heard from my Father in heaven. That this is how I chase after you. And I'll tell you, at the time, I didn't care. I didn't care. I just had to find my son. But about a month after this happened, I get home. I'm driving to work. And all this comes crashing down on me like a tidal wave. I thought, he's a father like I'm a father. He chases after me like I chased after my son. That's how much he loves me. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is hard for me. It's hard to know that this is so true. We learn about this and we hear about it in church. But for me to experience this has fundamentally changed the way that I view how much he loves me. And I wanted to share that with you today because I... He is a father and he too is chasing after you this morning the way that he chases after me, the way that I chased after my son. He is a father that has given up so much to have a close, intimate relationship with you that his son went to the cross to reconcile what's happened in this world so that you can have access to him in a loving, truthful way, like any father, daughter, father, son relationship should be. So hear that this morning. Hear that from me as I've learned in my life that he too is chasing after you this morning. There's no divorce. There's no addiction. There's no bad relationship. There's no financial destruction. Nothing gets in the way of him being a father pursuing you. Just like me running through that forest, trying to find my son, going over every obstacle, he too is a father that is pursuing you, going through every single obstacle to get close to you. Please hear that this morning. I hope my story was helpful to you. 